A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films. The official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 212 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on your own Twitter and Facebook pages at Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me like a modern day Sam Flynn trapped inside Battlefront, the EU guru himself, our count of these two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Finn lives! Finn lives! Oh wait, that's supposed to be Flynn, isn't it? Something like that. Finn lives! (laughs) And speaking of living, um... Uh, something else that is alive after a bit of dormancy that I should mention because I keep forgetting to is that you may recall that a while back, uh, Rich Hanley uh, and his partner uh, Joseph over at uh, that were actually working with Sequart put out that first Star Wars essay collection uh, called uh, Long Time Ago Exploring the Star Wars Cinematic Universe and it had an essay in it that I did on season one of Rebels. Well, the second volume is finally out. It's called A Galaxy Far, Far Away Exploring Star Wars Comics, which may make it a little more appropriate for uh, the audience of this show. And uh, I have an essay in this one also, this time looking at all the Marvel stuff that was produced up through the uh, Empire Strikes Back comic adaptation. So the first big chunk of the regular Marvel series, but then also uh, like the Marvel Illustrated book stuff and the pizzazz stuff from the time. All like those 1970s going into very early 1980 uh, Marvel things. And this one uh, just explores Star Wars comics. Then there's another one that'll come out next year that's going to explore uh, it's called a more civilized age, and it's going to explore Star Wars books, particularly adult novels and whatnot. But that's the one where I've got that afterward that's opposite the uh, the Timothy's on forward. So uh, it's out. There's another one out there finally, and I have officially started writing on that guidebook to Star Wars home video. I don't know when it'll ever be done, but I started writing the introduction, so it's at least started. Uh, so finally getting back to some of the writing stuff here that I really feel like I've been having to kind of neglect. Aside from a short story I wrote for uh, James Wilder's 10,000 Dawns, uh, Poor Man's Iliad that's coming out next year. I feel like I haven't even touched writing in a while. It's good to kind of get back into expressing something other than fandom rage or work stuff. <laughs> yeah, right? Ah, rage. And I think this is a topic that kind of pushes me towards rage more often than I wish. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or those simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. 
This episode, we take a look back over the previous year of Star Wars video games. This is your Star Wars Beyond the Films 2016 Year in Review. That's right, you know how we do it. This episode, we're going to be focusing on the games, which as we mentioned in our past episode, it's going to be an episode all on its own this year. And then, of course, lastly, we're going to have our films, television, and the um, other stuff following next week or the week after that. That said, consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure... Beyond the films. All right. So games, of course, can be divided into two different categories, right? We've got the video games, and then we've got the tabletop games, like card games, miniatures games, and stuff like that. And Star Wars has quite a few of the latter, and actually at least a couple of big ones here for the former this time around. Star Wars video games are sort of creeping along at this point in many respects. So... I guess before we get into what is new for the year, uh, we did get word this year that Disney Infinity was ending. Uh, Disney Infinity had gone through 1.0, 2.0 that added Marvel, and then 3.0 that added Star Wars, and they had gotten out all three of their Star Wars playsets back in 2015, and then we got news this year that it was going to end. The line was not going to continue. There was not going to be a sequel. The one that they had was going to be eventually cut off. All the online content would be cut off. Basically, Disney Infinity was dying. And really, this year we didn't get a lot of new Star Wars content for it. Uh, We got some new non-Star Wars stuff, but for Star Wars we really just got the last of the light FX Disney Infinity figures, which was Kylo Ren. And then Boba Fett, which had been released way back in the original Saga bundle, if you had bought that one, finally got released on its own for those who didn't buy the Saga bundle in the first place. So Disney Infinity ended, but... Didn't have a lot of new Star Wars stuff. And then also ending this year was Star Wars Uprising. There's a mobile game by Kabam, which in the first act, which we got the previous year, really just focused on this sort of smuggler guy and his sister and how they wind up running afoul of the Empire and they, they need help and they wind up working with these other criminals to try to pull off this big heist job. And it turned out that what they stole was actually a recording of Leia from a month after, or I guess it was from uh, right after the Battle of Endor. It's referenced in Aftermath and whatnot. And it's a month or so later, and she's revealing to the people of the Anoat Sector that, yes, Palpatine is dead, the, the New Republic has been born, etc., etc. All stuff that Adelhard wanted to keep under wraps and wanted to silence. So we had left off that act with basically Adelhard and his purge troopers led by Commander Bragg going out and trying to kill anyone who had any knowledge of that transmission. Mm. This year gave us a continuation of the story, saw them go up against Bragg, form alliances to try to basically make themselves so much of a, a powerhouse within the sector that Adelhard would find them just too big of an issue, too much trouble to deal with, and just leave them alone uh it got to a satisfactory conclusion i would say but then we got word yes it's gone too and in the process of closing it out you could tell sort of that there were some money issues maybe because there were certain decisions they made that made the game less user friendly oh really and more buy stuff buy stuff buy stuff like uh you used to be able if you well one thing that kind of was sort of against that i guess i should say is uh Used to be that if you died, you could pay 40 chromium, which was the currency you would buy with real money, uh, or could buy with real money, uh, to revive yourself in the middle of a mission and continue. They got rid of that, so you just die, you had to start again, which made the Jedi path pretty rough, because the last mission on Jedi, if you don't have the right armor to get the light side force powers, uh, the final boss can shoot you once and you freeze in place and just die. You freeze in place and get the crap beat out of you, and there's nothing you can do about it once you get hit 
one time. Wow. Unless you have the right gear, which can stop that, and it has to be the highest level gear to even access the mission, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, but they also, there used to be a thing, and I talked about this on Cloud City Casino a couple of times, for like three bucks or something, you could basically do it so that you could have 40 chromium, which is a decent amount, given to you each day for 30 days every time you logged in for the first time that day, which gave you 1,200 chromium relatively slowly, but relatively cheaply, because buying it in the packs of, like, 100 chromium or whatever it is at a time was ridiculously expensive, uh, way, way more costly. You know, packs for 20 bucks, 40 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever. Unfortunately, they decided, oh, people are doing that too much. They got too much chromium built up, and they're not buying those big packs for a lot of money. Uh -oh. Screw it, we're just going to get rid of that option entirely. So they went to... It, the, the one cost-effective way of playing and actually spending money got thrown out the window. So uh, you could see sort of the writing on the wall, but it finally ended, which I think is kind of an important thing, because of all the Star Wars games that are out there that are canon as opposed to Legends, and there's not many of those because most of them are sort of threading the line being authentic Star Wars experiences without necessarily being one continuity or the other, Star Wars Uprising was really the only one that was intentionally adding new story content to the Star Wars canon continuity, mm -hmm. and now it's gone. Yeah, that and that definitely is an aspect of gaming that we need. Uh, you know, you need to have that connectivity. Having the ability to add to the story, that is definitely a good way of doing it. You can always bring characters in, but unless you're bringing something new to the table in the story realm, it, it again falls into it's just a throwaway adventure. Uh, I think with Uprising and any mobile game where you tread that line of, we'll pay us money and we'll give you extra features. I think that it runs a dangerous gambit. I mean, I was playing Star Wars Commander up to the point where I just, I I lost all interest because I've reached that freaking wall, that solid cement wall that you cannot pass called, you gotta pay money to get any farther. And I think with Uprising, I think that was one of the issues I was I was having right out the gate. I didn't get into that game as much. I don't think I got past the first bar level. I was like, eh... It was intriguing having all that story opportunity, but it wasn't enough to get me to get past all the mobile aspects of the game that, that turned me off to that style of game. In the realm of Infinity, though, oh, that one really hurt, man. That one really hurt. Like, I mean, if you guys have been following the show, you know last year, like, I was I was struggling over what games to get for my kids, and I was like, this Infinity one looks like it's going to be a really fun one. It's going to last. It's going to be here for a while. It's fun. My kids love the hell out of it. Uh, now I'm kind of in that aspect of I'm just looking for other pieces, other parts and stuff. But I saw Peter Pan going for 900 bucks. I don't think I'm ever going to get all of this series. So I'm like, Infinity Guys. Hello. What? Yeah. Was that, is that like a limited edition or something hard to find? It was in the package. So I'm hoping that's the only reason because I don't care if it's in the package. I just want the figures. But I'm like, my God, 100 bucks. Infinity, put some of these things back out. Like, you don't have to give us new ones. I get it. You're done. But at least... Put out some more for the demand of the people that are trying to catch up. I mean, I don't understand why they ended that game. I mean, that game seems like a no-brainer in a game that would continue forever. I mean, when you think about the, the franchises, the IPs that Disney owns, why would you cancel that? I mean, now I'm like, I should have went with LEGO Dimensions. I mean, I, clearly that one ain't going away. And I'm going to get that one, and it's going to die, too. I am the death knell for freaking Star Wars games. You know, I got to say, I mean, Disney Infinity was quite fun. It was kind of weird in the way that it handled certain things, but I mean, I did full Let's Play 
run-throughs and really enjoyed myself for the most part for each of the Star Wars play sets. Uh, what they added with Marvel Battlegrounds this year was really strong. Um, getting you a way to sort of play around with characters that for the most part had just been sitting there since 2.0, but now you jump back into it. Uh, I mean, it was a very solid game. It didn't have any new you know, continuity content, but it was still a fun game to play. And that's a heck of an investment. You're buying all these figures and the games and all this kind of stuff. And then, oh, yeah, it's over. They had already said there wasn't going to necessarily be another iteration this year, like a 4.0, that they were just going to add to 3.0. And maybe that should have been assigned to us. But we just thought it was, you know, looking for a better business practice to do it and really just kind of playing up on let's just add more characters. But not so much. Uh, I got to say, though, I'm heartened for my, uh, uh, when my wife and I, finally have a kid. I'm heartened for the, the chances of being able to pay for a college education because at uh, D23 this year, or I guess it was this year or last year, uh, Barrett was able to get a, a special, I think it's a Kingdom Hearts costume power disc for Mickey. Nice. Mickey Mouse <laughs> that was only available at that convention, never oh. available anywhere else <laughs> since. So I'm hoping that by the time we get 15 years or so from now, we start actually having to figure out, okay, what's going to happen in the next few years for college expenses and such. I could just, you know, sell that <laughs> and, and take care of that college education. But yeah, it was a good game. Unfortunately, it croaked. This year, though, did see kind of a replacement in some respects. Uh, if you're looking for a game that is kid-friendly, that is a, a Star Wars game. There haven't really been a whole lot of those in recent memory, aside from mobile games and whatnot. And yes, things like Commander, Galaxy of Heroes, Force Collection, those all continue this year, just adding you know new stuff for the new films, but that's not really something to get too in-depth with. I mean, they're, they're the same games as before, just with uh, some new characters added in. But this year saw the release of Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens, the first Lego Star Wars game based on only one film, the first to use actual dialogue to recreate the film, the first with paid downloadable content add-ons, and therefore a season pass. It was a game that released for the regular $60 price tag. You could get a deluxe edition for $70 to get the season pass with it, and then the season pass also could be bought separately for $10 to get you a bunch of DLCs, each of which for the most part tended to sell for about three bucks if you bought them on their own. So we got Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens, which was the game itself. It had story missions that went all the way through The Force Awakens, relatively consistent with the film. And then we had uh, some new missions. There were six missions added, I believe it was, to the game that were like new Star Wars missions that sort of blend between canon and not where it's like, you know, Poe's quest for survival. Here's a game level kind of like what we saw with Poe surviving on Jakku in the novelization and so on. Here's some new background information about that mission to go save Akbar that we get hints of in the Phantom Limb comic and so forth. Uh, and then, of course, there was DLC. We got character packs that came with uh, several characters each. I want to say it's about eight characters each, plus one vehicle each. We had the Jabba's Palace character pack, which was actually, I believe, an exclusive to, I think it was GameStop, if you had bought it uh, from there. And uh, that was eventually released to everyone. The Empire Strikes Back character pack was a pre-order exclusive, later made available to everyone. You had the character packs that came with the season pass, the uh, Freemaker Adventures character pack, the Clone Wars character pack, the Jedi character pack, which was actually exclusive to the season pass, the prequel trilogy character pack, and the Rebels character pack. Sony Systems, at least PS3 and PS4, not Vita, I believe, got a droid character pack that was a timed exclusive. Then 
Sony Systems got a timed exclusive uh, level pack, which is a new mission to go on based on the Phantom Limb comic. And then as part of the DLC, you also had, or the season pass, you also had Post Quest for Survival, First Order Siege of Takodana, and Escape from Starkiller Base, which were also all these uh, DLC missions that you could get uh, to add on to your game and play from a different perspective or play with, with uh, different characters. So by the end of it, uh, I played through to get 100% and get every single trophy in the game. By the end, if you have all the DLC, there's 210 different minifigures to collect. Wow. Uh, 262 gold bricks, 8 red bricks, uh, 22 levels total on which to get the true Jedi designation. Or excuse me, that's that's the, the mini, that's right, that's mini kits, 210 mini kits. Characters, minifigures, is actually 293. I was, I, I was misstating that. And something along the lines of 85 or 86 different ships that you could unlock access to. So a very robust game. Yes, it has DLC content. Yes, that annoyed some people. But the season pass was only 10 bucks, or a $10 addition to the price of the game, which is a far cry from how much it costs for games like Battlefront. Uh, I really like this one. Yeah, I will give them kudos on making the price for the DLC 10 bucks. I'm one. I'm not a fan of DLC. Um, I think about the original Xbox Battlefront 2. There was DLC for that. I did not have my Xbox hooked up to the internet at that age. That DLC is gone now. I now have the ability to do it, but it's gone. It's over. It was exclusive. It's over and done. I will never get to play Kit Fisto or Asajj Ventress in Battlefront 2. Uh, those days are gone. And and that's the issue I have with DLC. Like, I wish there was a way for kids to unlock the content, not have to buy the content. And I mean, I, I get it, but I just hate the, the fact that to me it always feels like if you've got money, well, you can do whatever the hell you want. And that's the problem I have with this world. And I hate it when that bridges into my Star Wars expenses. You know, I mean, and I know that part of this is probably dealing with the fact that I probably dropped 140 bucks on a bunch of Star Wars Black Series figures and have no more money left for my kids for Christmas. I'm like, all right, so when are you getting one of these? When are you getting one of those? Oh, uh, the truth. Oh, the truth comes I'm out. I'm so evil. Freaking money. I don't have enough. <laughs> you know, I think this one, I, th I feel like the value that we got from this game and its season pass really... It's almost the, the complete opposite end of the spectrum to what we get with, say, Battlefront, mm -hmm. where it's, gee, am I getting enough content for this price? It, for these, it's almost like, well, did they charge enough for the content that we got? Yeah. If you bought them all separately, three bucks for a character pack, three bucks for a level, eh, I mean, that's, that's not bad. But you add it all together and then look at the fact that the season pass cuts your price down to about a third of what it otherwise would be. It's like, yeah. shoot, this is a great deal. That said, playing as the different characters, I mean, it's neat and all. Like, you can play as Rowan from the Freemaker Adventures and whatnot, but it's not a game-changing experience. Mm -hmm. What I find interesting is that they were trying to add to the saga. Um, and they made a big deal about this whenever they announced that the game was going to have stories set beyond The Force Awakens film and how it was going to give us answers to questions we hadn't necessarily seen answers to before and everything. Oh, and so, I'm scared about that. That always makes me a little trepidatious. Yeah, having it in the game is a little bit worrisome. So we have Poe's Quest for Survival. That is a mission that is essentially, like I said, just what we see in the novelization as far as how Poe gets off of Jakku. First Order Siege of Takodana is the Battle of Takodana from the standpoint of the, to the others. Escape from Starkiller Base is just weird because it's basically two X-Wing pilots we've never heard of 
who wind up crashing on Starkiller Base's surface and have to get off of it before it explodes. Characters we know nothing about, just, it's really kind of a weird addition. I thought uh, Escape from Starkiller Base would be like, how do Kylo Ren and Hux get off of Starkiller Base or something? And no, it's these characters we never heard of just racing around. But of those new Star Wars adventures, as they call them, the missions that are built into um, the console version of the game, there's only four of them in the handheld version, but six in the console version. Poe to the Rescue is basically what happens after the Phantom Limb. How do they save Akbar? Uh, Lor Santeca's Return is basically uh, Lor Santeca arriving on Jakku now that he has, you know, the various information that he needed. Uh, Rathtar hunting. How is it that Han and Chewie and their crews say, uh, go and capture the Rathtars? Why are so many of the other crew members dead? <laughs> Crimson Corsair is just a mission for uh, Ethan S uh, Sedano, the guy from Force Awakens, of course. Trouble over Tall is what happens immediately before the Phantom Limb. Why does the ship crash? How was it all actually a trap to catch a First Order droid so they could get information from it about where Akbar is? And then Otegan Assault is basically how did the First Order learn where Lor Santeca is to go try to get him while Poe himself is already going there to try to get the information. So, I mean, these are not little useless side stories. And they're told in such a way that aside from sight gags, most of it plays pretty straight. Like the dialogue, like if you were to close your eyes while you're going through the cutscenes of these missions... You would not necessarily know that you're looking at a Lego story or something meant to be comedic. They feel straightforward. Even huh. like the Phantom Limb. The Phantom Limb plays out almost exactly down to some of the dialogue as the comic. The only And you get to a sight gag at the end. And the only sight gag at the end is that Poe, whenever he shows up to rescue them, runs a comb through his hair and is being all pretty boy. And that's it. Huh. So I don't know what to make of this. It's cool to see it. I'm adding them to the timeline, but I got to add the little note of we don't know if this, you know, how much of this is reflected in canon. We don't know exactly, you know, whether anything will be referenced from this. This is whole new bizarre territory. I mean, what do you, we're going to call it C squared Lego C or you know, what, what is this? No, this is the novelizations. This is, this is where they go. Well, it's canon so far as yeah, it lines that, that, up. That's, true. that's basically <laughs> what they're saying with this, uh, but it's. It's so weird. It's, I mean, it's a very entertaining game, but that is such an odd approach. We're going to give you new continuity stuff and new explanations for things in a video game? And it's going to be a Lego game at that? I mean, we're used to it in, in Legends with other games, but Lego? Yeah, and I'm, I'm in the same conflicted zone. I value the Lego games. They're fun. Adding this kind of content is definitely going to make me, as the dad, want to play with my kids. Typically, I enjoy watching them play. They're a lot better at it. But this does give me something to play for, if you will. Uh, when I'm watching the Freemaker Adventures, I'm not so into that show for the same... Well, for the opposite reason. It's the sight gags. The sight gags throw me so far out of watching it in the in the cartoon show that I can't appreciate it for what it is. Whereas with the video game, I can. I'm like, this is this is for kids. They've added the other stuff for me. The issue I have is when they say, well, this no, it, it's all count. You know, yeah, the, the emperor always said me likey, and and he's been after this and that and doing this weird, stupid thing, and he, you know, like the sight gags are. are what worries me when they say, well, it's all canon. Cause you know, I'm the type that I'm looking out at other fans going, there's somebody going, this is all counting. Palpatine's wearing bunny slippers. Now Palpatine has bunny slippers. And I'm like, no, 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 that was, that was the sight gag. That was just for fun. 
Like, th- there's that line there that hasn't been described that, that keeps me worrying. So the only way I could do it is, yeah, it's it's got to be the opposite of a novelization. And where the sight gags come in, well, that's the parts that, that, that aren't canon. Oh, man. It, it is a, a weird place. And they do that with just a few things. I mean, Nate, you mentioned it before with, with some of the games where they give you that authentic feeling. Uh, you know, I mean, that blending in a world where it's all canon really adds confusion to fans like you and I who've tracked canon levels and tiers and all this other BS they've given us over the years. It's like, I, I at times feel like we're just waiting for another canon level and canon tier set to come down. At some point, they're going to make something where Pablo goes, well, well, I, I really, I can't blend that anymore. I mean, we've been doing a real good job blending the Lego stuff, but that's pretty clear cut. I can't quite say that's canon. I feel like that's coming. But I think we can all agree whether this this gives us the willies when it comes to canon, whether we're excited about it, whether we love the Lego game or not. That Phantom Limb DLC should remind us all that C-3PO's red arm and the story explaining it are still fucking stupid! Pointless! Sorry, Michael. We're just, we're getting to the point where Michael's just gonna have like a button nearby that goes, oh, there's a bleep, bleep, there's a bleep, <laughs> bleep. Thank goodness we don't do this live. Thank goodness we're not trying to do like Riley is with uh, Star Wars Tonight. So, from a game that had very cheap, but... Uh, cost-effective in terms of, or at least, a, a what do we call it, consumer-friendly yeah. DLC prices, to a game where the DLC price kind of bled you dry. Uh, we move to the big one from 2015 that remains the big one, pretty much the only one, uh, for 2016, and that is Star Wars Battlefront, or Battlefront EA, as many Star Wars fans have taken to calling it. Last year, we saw the release of the base game, and with it, the first DLC, albeit not a paid DLC, and that was the Jakku add-on content, which added a mode called Turning Point. This year, we continue getting free updates from time to time, things like hut contracts, which were new. Most of the things that you unlock in the base game, it's basically you keep playing, you build up XP, you build up credits, and as you reach certain tiers of levels, like I hit level 10, level 20, level 30, whatever, that unlocks the ability to buy certain things with credits. Then you take the credits and you buy whatever it is, uh, a new star card that's a new weapon, like the jump pack or, you know, a smoke grenade or whatever, and then you can upgrade them. Uh, I actually finally just finished upgrading all the original ones. Yeah, once. You get one upgrade. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, once. And then you've got your hut contracts now. And a hut contract, you basically, you earn credits. Then you go into the hut contract area and buy a contract. Once you've got that contract, then there are a checklist of things to do. And once you do those things, you get something else. The idea is that it's a way to do progression without necessarily needing to be at a certain level in order to do them. So you can get access to better things faster uh, for newer players. I always look at it and liken it to the idea that I go into McDonald's, I want to buy a $5 value meal, I give them the 5 bucks, but then they tell me i got to go clean the bathroom before oh. they'll actually give me my freaking food. <laughs> because you're paying and you're earning, as opposed to it being... I mean, I don't recall a bounty hunter in Star Wars going to Jabba the Hutt and saying, oh, I'll take this bounty here. I'm going to give you money for giving me the bounty. It, it doesn't really work like well, that. Well, maybe, maybe. I mean, a new bounty hunter would be that way. Somebody totally new. Like, you got to earn your dues. You're not part of the bounty hunter guild, so I'm kind of taking you in under my wing once we've gotten you a few jobs maybe the bounty hunter guild will take you in may i'm stretching Uh, yeah yeah, yeah, it's kind of stretching maybe so we had a few new little free updates here and there uh one of which was big which we'll get to but then of course we had the paid dlc finally for a 50 dollar 
entire season pass, uh, which saves you $10 overall because each of the four main DLCs uh, downloadable content packs were $15 each, but we're talking about a $50 price tag on for a game that itself was 60 Or now you can find it for 40 bucks. That's I'm like, I'm I'm debating buying the game again just to get the, what is it, the well, Ultimate Edition? It's cheaper than the Season Pass? Yeah. yeah. Get the Ultimate Edition. Yeah, that's... Um, yeah, so you'll see that a lot in video games, folks, which is if a game has been out for a while and has quite a bit of downloadable content. About a year to two years later, they'll put out like an Ultimate Edition, a Complete Edition, a, uh, a Game of the Year Edition, whatever, that's going to have all the DLC. And it's just sort of a way to try to entice people who didn't buy it in the first place to maybe buy it now. But it's always been controversial because you've got the people who cry foul, wow, why are they able to pay like 40 bucks to get everything and I paid 110 And the well, answer, of course, is yes, but you got it way earlier by playing when most people were playing, playing originally. Yeah. Uh, you got that experience. You chose to wait. But that's like anything else. I could buy, you know, a VR headset now for $400. A few years from now, it'll probably be cheaper, but I've missed out on those years of playing VR. Yeah, I get into those games when I finally get that DLC. See, I'm going to be Headshot City. Doof, doof. What the hell? Is, doof, what the? I mean, I'm still learning the maps. I come around a corner. Somebody's waiting for me. I mean, that's what you're paying for. I mean, because that's I was going back and forth with that. I mean, I just lost my uh, PlayStation Plus. So now I'm like, oh, uh, I mean, you got to get PlayStation Plus. Yeah, you can't even play Battlefront except all the local stuff that sucks. Yeah. Which I was going to ask you. I'm, I'm not advancing my character at all now. Right. I mean, everything that advances my character is all online. Or, or am I right. able to do There's, anything in the skirmish or in the missions? In skirmish and missions. Uh, missions including training, battles, and uh, and whatnot, folks. So it's basically um, co-op or single-player stuff. Yeah, you can earn credits for doing certain things in some of them if there are stars to earn, but you can only earn those stars once. And then on every Aww. subsequent playthrough, if you do the same thing again, you're not getting credits for it. There is no XP progression. There is no character progression built into any of that content. If you want to earn <laughs> XP and go up in levels and be able to unlock more star cards and whatnot, you must be playing online and must be progressing at that anemic pace. Although, they do have double points weekends from time to time, um, which help, and they actually did their first quadruple points weekend back around, uh, I think it was like a week before Thanksgiving, and that's what allowed me to get from level 77 to what was then the cap of level 90 <laughs> in a span of like two and a half days, when usually that's going to take you weeks. Well, so Wait, and let's and let this for the listeners, that same weekend I played and I went up two levels. I was so ecstatic for those two levels. <laughs> well, you just, maybe you just didn't spend as much time. But I suck, to say, man. I suck so bad at that game. Suffice to say, so uh, they added some free stuff. That you have the DLC packs. The DLC packs that we got um, are somewhat varied, and some of them have more modes available than others. Some of them have more new weapons and whatnot available than others. But basically what we had was, and I'll just hit the highlights of each one here, we had the Outer Rim DLC, which focused on Tatooine at Jabba's Palace and Sullust, brought us a Greedo and Nine-Num into the game, brought us a new mode called Extraction, where you're basically escorting a shipment for the Rebels to their transport, and it has to hit certain sort of waypoints along the way, and the Imperials are trying to stop it and basically run out the clock. There's a lot of run-out-the-clock modes um, as far as the Imperial goal is concerned. Uh, then we had one called Bespin, which is pretty much all either on Cloud City or in space above Bespin, 
that or in the atmosphere, I guess, above Bespin. Uh, that gave us a new Fighter Squadron map so that we had uh, the Cloud Car introduced, which really kind of sucks. Uh, and we had a new mode called Sabotage, where the Rebels are trying to set three explosives and then get to an extraction point. The Imperials are trying to stop them. And it added in, I think it was Dengar and Lando into the mix as hero and villain. Uh, reverse there. Then we have the Death Star DLC, which added in, as part of a free update, two new hero ships. We had the Millennium Falcon and Slave 1. Now we have a Red 5 and Vader's TIE Advanced Buy 1, X1, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Death Star also added in uh, Chewbacca and Bosk as new playable characters, and added a new mode called Battle Station, which is a three-step mode. Sabotage was kind of multiple steps, because you had to blow up the three explosives and then get to the waypoint, but it was all handled as one scenario, one clock, yeah. uh, seamless, no loading in between. Battle Station, you fly, if you're the Rebels, you're trying to take out the uh, shield generators and then the bridge on a Star Destroyer to provide a distraction. Then you move to the next stage, if the Rebels are successful, which is to get R2-D2 off of the Death Star with downloaded plans. Apparently, they're varying completely from the film. The third stage is basically a trench run, but there's multiple trenches. So what happens is you have a certain number of checkpoints that have to be reached by the Rebels, and three ships are randomly chosen at a time to be the ones who are allowed to do the trench run. The other ones protect them. You fly through these trenches, you hit certain checkpoints, and if you get enough checkpoints in one run then it saves your progress up to a point. It's kind of like those game shows where it's like, well, you could go ahead and try to win more money, but if you get the question wrong, it'll drop you down to this safe zone a few questions back kind of thing. Uh, if you hit enough of them, you blow up the Death Star. Uh, I managed to do that once as Red 5 getting like the last six checkpoints or something by myself, which was pretty exhilarating. Uh, and then you've got the newest one just released that's not even, at least as of the time of this recording, in the hands of non-season pass players, which is Rogue One Scarif. Rogue One Scarif has maps set on and above the planet Scarif from Rogue One. So this one introduces Jyn Erso and uh, Orson Krennic, of course, from the film as your new hero and villain, as characters that you can play as in certain modes or when you get certain power-ups. And it, too, has a multi-stage mission. Uh, though I would argue that this might be a little spoilerish, not a whole lot, hopefully, uh, for Rogue One, but just bear that in mind for about the next two minutes, perhaps, uh, one to two minutes here. Basically, the first stage is that you're over the planet Scarif and you need to get through the shield and there's this big ring thing up in space that is the only way to get through the shield. It opens and closes a shield within its ring. So you have... The shield a, gate. The shield gate, yes. So the rebels are trying to escort U-wings... Uh, which are ones that, again, are sort of like random characters get random players get to play as the U-Wing on each run. It just kind of randomly chooses. Um, you have to get the U-Wing through the gate for the Rebels, and then it moves to the next stage. The next stage, then, is on the surface, and the Rebels have to destroy one of two Imperial transports to act as a diversion of Imperial attention. Then the next stage, you have basically three different Rebels... Uh, all trying to run Death Star plans back to a U-Wing to get off the surface and get the plans back to the Alliance. So you got another multi-stage thing where the, the Empire's trying to basically run the timer out and the Rebels have certain goals that must be met to progress between each set of the stages. And then finally, on top of that, uh, released the same time as Rogue One Scarif, we have a piece of free DLC, which is what I was waiting for for a long, long time. <laughs> Uh, which is the, and this is a long name, 
Star Wars colon Battlefront colon Rogue One X-Wing VR mission. Basically, this is a mission that takes place during Rogue One. So again, maybe some spoilers for about the next 30 seconds. Essentially, you are a an X-Wing pilot. You are called in to help a U-Wing that is under Imperial attack. The U-Wing is carrying K-2SO and the Rebel team who have just uh, picked up uh, Jin and are on their way to Yavin 4 with Jin, and you have to basically escort them. You fight a Star Destroyer with its turbo lasers. You fight against uh, TIE fighters and eventually have to escape to Yavin 4. Probably most importantly, the VR mission, while pretty awesome, and I can get into more detail here in a little bit, it's the only freaking story content this Battlefront has ever <laughs> gotten. So we had paid DLC that significantly expanded the scope of the game. And we've now got this VR mission that shows a promise of what Star Wars could do in VR in the future. Mark, what do you think? It's, well, I mean, where are we with Battlefront? Is this is this worth it? Is this the game that it should have been? Does it justify the price tag, et cetera, et cetera? There is a lot going on here. I mean, I think about, you know, what we're getting with a lot of the games and stuff. And, you know, the Death Star one, you know, R2 wasn't left behind on the Death Star, you know, so that changes things. So when I think about the Scarif one, I'm like, how accurate is that, you know, I mean, so far we've got historically with this game stuff that's not quite so accurate, but it made me stop and think, you know, if we have a mission where, where K2SO and, and crew are going to Yavin, like I never, I never thought about where they were taking the plans. I always assumed that they were trying to take the plans to Leia, but what if they took the plans to Yavin, no, wait, met wait, with Leia on Yavin this, and then left from there? For what it's worth, this seems to be... There's an episode or there's a, a clip that just showed up online actually in the last couple of days where basically Jin is being rescued from Imperial cu custody before she's ever met any of the team, mm -hmm. which this seems to be between that and when she she's taken in shackles into Yavin 4's base and the whole, you know, I'm a rebel, I rebel, and she's briefed on the mission. So this seems to be like super early in the film. There hasn't been a Death Star mission yet. This is all just the recruiting and transport of Jin before she gets involved with anything. At least that's what the dialogue makes it sound like. Oh my God, there's oh, actual dialogue. So in so Battle basically, Front. okay. So it's not towards the end of Rogue One. It's at the beginning, and this is them taking Jin from the planet. Mm -hmm. to, okay. Yeah, okay. which which I find kind of interesting because I hadn't even thought about you know well how does she get to Yavin Four in the yeah. first place? I mean, and we see her. You know, as a troublemaker, and we see her in Imperial custody in some of the trailers, but I guess I never thought about, well, how do you get from point A to point B? Apparently, you do mm -hmm. it with some VR escorts. So, I'm conflicted with this game. I mean, there's so much about this game that I love, and then there's so much about this game that I find extremely boring, and then there's aspects of this game that I find frustrating. Uh, the price tag angle is a little frustrating. I mean, the game itself seems alright, but if it had a story mode, I feel like you would be getting what you paid for. Without that story mode, though, there's really a lot left desired with this game. Um, you know, I did get to play everything but the Rogue One Scarif thing with that one uh, quadruple weekend. Really loved the Death Star. Loved the uh, space battles going in on the trench run. Uh, getting selected randomly to be one of the X-Wings going down in the trench. That was a lot of fun. I think the hardest part I had with that was figuring out which trench was the trench. You know, I was like, well, which trench, man? There's like 28 of them. Uh, but I love the fact that we were able to do some space flight, flying through the asteroid belt. Oh, my God. I was tickled beyond belief with that. Uh, when it comes to the bonus characters, I feel like they could really ramp it up. But I, I think that 
we know we're getting Battlefront 2, and I think that at this point, they were just like, all right, we're going to put this out, and whatever the limitations, the pitfalls, we will fix that with the next game. At least that's my hope. That is the the... The thing I tell myself to allow me to have little dreams of candy drops and awesome X-Wing TIE Fighters and stuff like that when I when I think about Battlefront 2. Because I, I think that there was so much room for improvement with this first one that I really hope they get the second one right. Uh, the fact that they added a story mode to the VR mission is kind of cool because it, it does give you the feeling like, hey, somebody was listening. Uh, you know, that was my biggest complaint is the lack of the story mode or the fact that even in the, the survival missions, like they could have made those story mode they were really close to being the only story mode we got, but again, they just they just didn't take it all the way. Uh, and that's the issue I have. I mean, granted, I, I'm probably going to find one of the Ultimate Editions and get it that way to get all this extra stuff. Because I want it. I, uh, I'm at that point where I'm bored of the game and I want to play those other levels, and I can't. And that, to me, like... That's where I worry about the struggle with the DLC, because it's like, the game itself, there really doesn't feel like there's that much to it. I feel like the rest of the game is all the DLC, and if that's how you plan on marketing it, that's a stupid marketing. The DLC should be extra stuff, not half the damn game. And that, I feel, is what's going on with this right now. All the better stuff is in the DLC. Uh, You know, I mean, here I sit, I don't have PS Plus, and I can't advance my character anymore. Does that sound like a game that you want to give a kid that has no internet? Here, here's a game that you can play by yourself and do absolutely nothing with. It doesn't sound that fun. Uh, You know, granted, the upside is, if I get that other edition, if I ever get another PlayStation, me and my son could actually sit in the house together and play a multiplayer game that the points count... Because right now I, I can play with him, but it doesn't count. There's so many limitations to this game, and those limitations bring the negativity. Uh, you know, if you, if you remove the limitations, this game is great. It's a lot of fun. It feels very Star Wars. Uh, but then you get in there and you start playing with the people that have the DLC. They're sniping you left and right. I'm, I'm trying headshots on people. I shoot them. They're still alive. One headshot with me at full life. I'm dead. I'm like, what the hell is going on? That kind of frustration on this game makes it a game I don't enjoy playing. Well, Battlefront's one of these games that it definitely didn't justify the price tag to begin with, right? I mean, it's a $60 game. No story, no galactic conquest. Uh, very much a jump in and just do various... Uh, you know, team deathmatch or capture the point type of, of multiplayer missions. Very, very little single player or co-op content, although now we do have the skirmish mode that lets you do some of the other regular game modes just for no XP with people in your living room. It, it was very light on content. It really made it hard to justify a $60 price tag for that game. 30 40 probably. 60 that was really stretching it. And then you had the fact that the DLC, the, the season pass, usually season passes are not 50 freaking dollars. Uh, this time, it was, because each of the DLC packs was going to be 15 So you were still saving some money with the season pass, but people were not happy with that price tag. Usually season passes aren't nearly that much. At least, in the past, they hadn't been. So... Yeah, this question of, well, is the DLC going to substantially add to the game? Is it going to make the game better? And I would argue that yes, the game is substantially better now. Most of the most fun that I have outside of Fighter Squadron is in either Extraction or Sabotage or Battle Station or Infiltration, which is that new one from the Rogue One Scarif uh, scenario. Uh, I have a lot more fun doing those because they're more complex than doing the stuff in the base game. Uh, There are a lot of cool, interesting new things you can get from HUT contracts, some of which are locked behind DLC walls, like Jin's Blaster or Krennic's awesome, like, six-shooter-type blaster. 
Uh, some of it's not. Some of it you can get regardless of whether you've bought any DLC. Uh, and the end result becomes that in a sense, with four DLCs in, uh, four paid DLCs in, plus the free Jakku DLC and the other additions that they've made, for about $110 for someone who bought it on day one, I feel as though what we've got now is basically the game a game like we should have had if it was going to be multiplayer only. A game like we should have had plus about half a year's worth of DLC content. Maybe 80 bucks worth now as opposed to $110 worth. Um, but it has substantially improved the game. It's just the fact that we're basically paying the price of another game in order to get that content some of which really probably should have been in the base game simply because the game itself was so lacking. The progression system is still very light, but at least now we have more stuff that we can unlock, more costumes to unlock, and we have a new way with the hut contracts, even though I still think it's like paying for your meal and then having to clean the bathroom before you get your burger. But it, it, I, that Mark's point there is a valid concern. You've probably seen the meme out there, which is the, uh, the DLC as a hamburger, right? The buns to the burger, that's what you get in the base game, but then for any of the toppings and the meat itself, that's DLC. You have to buy extra. Um, that's not quite accurate, but it, it's the feeling that you certainly get when you're dealing with a game that has a lot of DLC that makes the game substantially better rather than just adding a tiny bit to it. I would note on the uh, VR mission, it is a free one, which is nice. I'm kind of torn on the VR mission because the writing is kind of atrocious, um, but there is voice acting and whatnot. There is story, so hey, we'll give them that. And it is fun being in the X-Wing cockpit, being able to look out the window on either side of you and see the Imperials coming at you. You're in an X-Wing but rather than just having shields and proton torpedoes, you've also got the speed boost. You've got three different options available to you. Um, you can turn around directly behind you, 180 degrees, and look through the little top of the canopy and see your astromech working behind you. You're zooming in and out of Imperial fire. You can fly uh, close to and even through the little gap in between parts of the Star Destroyer. Oh, cool. Um, I mean, it's crazy, crazy fun, but at the same time... I feel like they kind of missed the boat on when they released this. They released this here at the beginning of December. They should have released it day and date with the launch of PlayStation VR. And it is a PlayStation VR exclusive. You will not see this on Oculus Rift, HTC Vive, uh, which are the PC, the big PC VR um, platforms to use. Now, it is a PlayStation Plus exclusive, or PlayStation Plus, PlayStation VR exclusive. Uh, and it's free. But... I feel like just in the short, you know, less than a month since PlayStation VR came out, I've already been spoiled on this type of gameplay because day one, we had the launch of Eve Valkyrie set in the Eve Online universe, and it is all a flight simulation game. It's like, what if you take what Battlefront did with this VR mission for an X-Wing and make an entire game built around it with a lot of progression and upgrades and all kinds of stuff that you can do that while dealing with microtransactions at times also has some fairly deep progression built into it, even if it is mostly a multiplayer rather than a single-player experience. And it's fantastic. It is fan-freaking-tastic. But then they also released a free, and you don't even need the game to download and play it, you do it as a standalone, uh, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare uh, Jackal Assault Mission, which is basically uh, another space-flying, you're-in-the-cockpit-blasting-enemies scenario. But both of those take further advantage of VR 
than what this did. Because in those games, you're flying with the sticks and everything, and, and the X-Wing mission plays exactly, from a control standpoint, exactly like regular fighter squadron. It's just that you're in the cockpit, and you're not limited to just looking forward, so it's a whole new way of playing it. But in those other two, not only are you flying and shooting with the crosshairs, you have the ability to look at something, and it moves another targeting reticle, like a secondary one, that can lock onto something. So if I'm chasing after somebody and blasting them with my ship's regular cannons in EVE, I can also be looking off to the side, and with what I'm looking at, press a different button, and it locks in secondary missiles on this enemy oh over here and blasts God. him also. That is so cool, though. We need something like that so bad in, in just the flight battles i mean yeah i'm constantly i miss the you remember how we'd have the targets like you'd have like a selection like everybody that you were against you could target you could go left mm -hmm. or right through them all or you could hit another button that would lock you onto the closest one i desperately missed yep. that feature i'm like flying around holding down the l1 or l2 waiting to lock onto somebody and praying to god i can keep them in my recycle which you can't even do anymore because they added a timeout you can't lock onto someone indefinitely now yeah. the if you lock onto somebody for long enough you the lock breaks on Battlefront. Um, but I mean, so the Battlefront X-Wing VR mission was awesome. It was crazy fun. You be, you, they talk about how you get to walk around your X-Wing before you get in it. That's not entirely true. There's certain predetermined points you can jump to and oh. look around. Then you get inside the cockpit, you choose male or female as your pilot self, and then you know you shoot off. You get to go to hyperspace while you're while you're in the cockpit and activate the hyperspace thing. You get to open your own X foils. It's just a thing that if you've ever wanted to be immersed in Star Wars as a pilot, this yeah, is that it. That looks fun. But it's free, so we shouldn't expect too darn much. But so is Jackal Assault. But it doesn't really take advantage of the other things that PSVR can do. Uh, I would love to see this expanded into a fuller experience or give us something like the next Battlefront, do what they're doing with Resident Evil 7, which is that you can play the entire game regularly or in VR. Oh, Your choice oh. in and out whenever you want. Oh, my God. But again, the price of entry, though, I mean, the price of entry for the X-Wing VR mission is nothing. It's free, but you just have to have Battlefront. But of course, the price of entry for the PlayStation VR, it's a $400 unit and you got to have a PlayStation 4 camera and to really get the immersive experience in a lot of games, albeit not this one, you need two PlayStation Move motion controllers. So you're looking at about a $500 proposition to fully jump into PlayStation VR. But if you can, this VR mission was great. I would say that the VR mission is some of the most fun I've had in Battlefront. It's just I, I felt it was kind of lackluster from a gameplay standpoint because I've been spoiled now by Eve Valkyrie and the Jackal Assault mm -hmm. mission. And I'm thinking, man, there are so many missed opportunities here. So, But, but that's kind of the story of Battlefront, yeah. right? Put out what you need to put out. Make it pretty. Make it cool. Make it look good. Make it an authentic Star Wars experience. But only go to that... I just barely passed the class with 1% over failing kind of line. <laughs> um, hopefully, next time around, they'll, they'll, they'll get better. Um, before we move to the last of the games, any last thoughts on Battlefront? I know we spent quite a yeah, bit of time well, on Well, you know, most of the other stuff, I'm not going to have as many questions. I mean, I, I'm one that I'm like, okay, clearly they're like, we'll just put this out there. We'll take notes and whatever we missed, we'll get on the next game. At least that's what I'm hoping they're going to do. Uh, with the VR, kind of explain to me how it works in the realm of flying. Like, so you've got your PS Move controllers. Are they controlling, you said, like like normal? Uh, no. No, you do not have the PS Move controllers on this one. Okay. Some games use them. Like, there's uh, Batman Arkham VR. You can Any of these games you can play with a regular controller. 
But Arkham VR, for instance, you use one move controller in each hand. So you're actually grabbing things as Batman, flicking out oh, batarangs okay. at things and okay. that sort of thing. My wife loves carnival games, and so do I. Carnival games is awesome because it's got all these little things to do. She loves, there's one that's just, you use the PlayStation move controllers and you're throwing softballs at milk bottles. I like the fact that there's a climbing wall in it. You're literally gripping things and working your way across ropes and up oh, cool. walls um, by gripping with the controllers. But that's... Only about, probably about a third of the PSVR games. More than regular games, percentage-wise, but still not huge. But then something like Eve Valkyrie, the Battlefront X-Wing VR mission, uh, Battlezone, a lot of these games that take a lot more fine-tuned controls, um, they do use the regular DualShock controller, which is actually where some people are going to run into issues. I should note here, simulation sickness is real. Uh, It's not motion sickness, okay? Motion sickness is... I'm looking at something that is like like I'm in a if I'm in a car I can get motion sickness if I'm trying to read because I'm looking at something that is stationary my body is perceiving motion from the movement of the car simulation sickness is the opposite your body is not perceiving any of the feeling of motion and yet your eyes are perceiving motion as you're moving with your controls okay. So that's where it, it can start making someone nauseous. Riggs, Mechanized Combat League, kicked my butt the first couple times <laughs> I played it. But the, it, you're, as your brain gets used to it, it's sort of like training your brain to not necessarily expect that any movement has to have the physical sensation with it. Eventually it fades. But if this is your first experience, it might hit you because you are using a regular controller. It's, it controls exactly like regular battlefront you press one trigger to activate your uh, uh your shield which is really cool to watch the blue aura like come around you nice you use the other trigger to fire your proton torpedoes you lock with the same button you control your speed the same way you're flying the same way again the only difference really is that not only do you have shields and proton torpedoes which is normal for an x-wing you also have the speed boost if you hold down triangle oh, cool. but otherwise it plays exactly so the same how does the look around joysticks work then because now you've got the the headset that's the one that like so well, if i'm looking to the flying, left and i try to turn to the right and then do the look to the left like is that going to conflict or is the look button no longer functioning the same well you're it's it's all in the it's all in the ship though so in fighter squadron you can't look to the sides Oh. Right. I mean, you're always just right behind the ship or you go to the cockpit view and you're just looking forward in that narrow view you can see. The difference here is that it's not limited to that narrow view. Instead of just looking ahead and seeing out past the nose of the ship, you can turn and look through any of the side windows. You can look up through the top of the canopy. You can turn around and look at the astromech behind you. It's just giving you that 360 degree situational awareness. I mean, you feel like you're basically in the cockpit. There's even a phantom X-wing pilot body Everything but the head that is lined up with the uh, oh, cool. uh, the headset, so that as you're flying, there is a set of hands in front of you on the pilot control yoke, moving as you move. Oh, that is cool. Now, when you speed up and slow down, do they do equivalent, like you know, or do you, they just stand stationary? I mean, you you move forward, but of course, since you're in the seat, it's like everything is moving around you. It's like being in a car, right? If you couldn't perceive the movement of the car, you just look beside you. And it wouldn't necessarily be different between you moving forward and everything else zipping past you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can sort of feel that uh, to an extent, like your, your brain kind of perceives it the right way. Uh, I mean, you 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 feel I mean, it's 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 a very cool experience. Like I, I purposely made it a point. You know, how the, the starter story has like the T-shaped thing at the top that has the, the command area and yeah. everything. I flew between the base of the starter story and that just to see if I could. And it was a pretty cool feeling experience. <laughs> I I'm, I do similar like on uh, Jakku. I'm always flying through the little engine bits that are floating out mm-hmm. there. Threaten the needle, baby. Yeah. It's like buzzing a womp rat in my T-16 at home. <laughs> 
Well, that's cool. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's, it's fun. That's, that was definitely one of the angles that I was the most concerned with. was like, how the hell does that work? I mean, it, it, it looks, when you watch that little uh, preview and stuff, it looks like it would function that well. It sounds like it functions that well. It definitely seems like if I was able to talk my wife into a big investment, this would be a way to go. Uh, it feels like it brings all the good things that the Wii was doing into PlayStation. I, I I can do oh, that. It's, just, it's so much, so much beyond that. I just I, The VR thing has totally changed the way I look at games and what kind of games I play. Nice. Like this week, I'm stoked because there's a game coming out called I Expect You to Die, right? From the <laughs> quote from the James Bond movies. Because it's basically things like, okay, you're stuck in a car. The villain has set the car to explode if you do certain things. There's only one way out of it. It's like an escape the room scenario. <laughs> Time is ticking. Go. I wouldn't have normally played a game like that. But doing it when you're in VR insane <laughs> so so yeah psvr has been a huge huge thing for me but but yeah and and for those of you who are curious um i absolutely despise the in cockpit view regularly for fighter squadron on battlefront because it's so restrictive i love being in the cockpit for this the restrictiveness feeling isn't there nice all the way around i i, I really like the game um there's there's aspects about this game i want more from so i i'm in that conflicted aspect of like do I try to get better at gaming, or do I just wait for Battlefront 2? I'm kind of thinking Battlefront 2 may answer all the the negativities that I have with this game. You know, there are things that just kind of bring me out of the fun, uh, and I hope that when they get to the second one, they really they really nail it. The, the fact that what they've done with the VR mission sounds very hopeful. Uh, I hope they can tie more of that kind of stuff in. And maybe, just maybe, they're paying attention to the other VR games, because that lock-on feature from that Valkyrie game sounds just tight. Just awesome. Yes, please, please, please learn from your mistakes and learn from what other people are doing right. All right, the last of the video games to get to before we touch on any of the uh, card games, RPG games, miniature games, stuff like that, is uh, Legends, of course, which is Star Wars The Old Republic Knights of the Eternal Throne uh, being released right around this time of the year. Uh, We've seen trailers of it. We've seen a short story linking into it uh, that Mark talked about in more detail back in our uh, books and, and prose fiction episode a couple episodes ago. But The Old Republic is still going strong, and we have yet another expansion with Knights of the Eternal Throne. I mean, The Old Republic doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon, though I'm told that the story of this one feels more like it could be a conclusion. I just... I don't know. How long can Bioware keep this up? That is the biggest question. I mean, they've managed to turn, you know, what are they going to do with Revan into what's going on with the Sith Emperor? Uh, you know, Revan's kind of like disappeared in the background, and now we're still all eagerly wanting the answers and, and wanting to know what's going on. I mean, I find this story is is way more intriguing than a game has right to be. Like, I, I think they should have been tying this in with more comics, and they may have been intending to do that. I mean, you know, think about what they were doing with... Uh, 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 Satiel San's son. I can't think of what his name is, but the spy guy that was doing all that stuff in the uh, Old Republic era and stuff. You could do similar things like that where you're tying books and comics into the story because there is a lot of lore going on here. I mean, we've got other Force traditions being brought into the mix. Uh, we've got Jedi that are, are falling. We've got, you know, the Emperor's got children. Like, there's so much angles to this that 
the way they've described the emperor, I mean, there's a part of me that's still waiting to find out that the emperor never died and, and he eventually became Palpatine or something, you know, like, like they've left it pretty wide open and the, and the way he goes about doing the things he does, he's a scary individual. Granted, he hasn't jumped many bodies that much, but the option to do so is, I don't know, that was always something that when Palpatine was doing it. It was it was a freaky power, and to have somebody that's willing to just to leave their body and go from body to body to body and to control you, like I, there's a part of me that would almost like to see a Sith Order do that and become like the equivalent of new zombies, you know, where they still have their personality, but once they've got your body, you are dead. They now have your body. Uh, I think that'd be kind of a cool little thing to do, and and the way the Emperor is doing his thing. You've got an opportunity there. When it comes to the realm of what's going on in the story, I don't know as much as I would like. I don't have the game, so I kind of just get the bits and pieces off of videos of other people playing it. But that's where I'm like, man, they really they should have tied this into a book and stuff. There is so much that they are plumbing and, and mining with this. So much lore and so much in that KOTOR era. I mean, if you were always a fan of that era... You're the one Legends fan who is, like, thanking the maker that you've still got something coming because they're providing. Yeah, it's fascinating to see that it's still going, still able to to expand upon that universe. And I must say that, you know, as I said back a couple episodes ago, I really hope that when this era ends, when this game finally comes to an end, they give us a real ending so that we have an explanation of how this era ends to give rise to... The next era, because unlike most of what they're doing with Star Wars right now, this era actually has a bunch of stuff happening uh, on either side of it that needs to be taken into continuity account. Uh, That brings us to games that are not video games. Uh, We're talking board games. We're talking miniatures games, card games, RPGs and stuff like that. Uh, We'll start with one that is a standalone. All these are from Fantasy Flight Games, by the way. Uh, and all of these, you can see reviews. That was what I was going to mention for uh, for X-Wing VR mission that I forgot. Uh, you can go on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash chrono radio, C-H-R-O-N-O radio, all is one word. And I've got review videos up for the vast majority of all the Fantasy Fight Games stuff to let you know what the contents are, what the miniatures look like, and stuff like that. I've also done a full Let's Play playthrough of the X-Wing VR mission for Battlefront. So if you want to see the whole thing, not just little preview clips, check out the channel and you can uh, hear me as I experience it. But one of these games was kind of an oddity because it wasn't part of a series of games. Instead, it was a standalone board game all about conquering the galaxy, essentially. Uh, Rebels versus Imperials for the fate of the galaxy called Star Wars Rebellion. You may remember that name from a computer game that was about strategy of essentially gaining influence and and dominating the galaxy or or liberating the galaxy as the case may be. This is very similar. A game that uses some cards, a ton of miniatures, a nice giant game board, and has you using your heroes and troop movements and whatnot uh, to help save the galaxy or, you know, cement your control over it as the case may be. It is a game that is one of the few standalone Star Wars games that Fantasy Flight has done, and as a strategy game, a pretty good one. I, I find what they're doing with the whole authentic you know, experience is kind of unique, because you've got canon, you've got legends, and then you've got tabletop board games that are doing their own thing. Like They're like a mix of both. And while it's nebulous, and I don't necessarily like nebulousness, I do like the fact that it does allow the people that are kind of in the middle that don't really care the opportunity to play with both sets of things. And I think that's, that's got some value. 
This is true. They're basically, Fantasy Flight Games' approach has essentially been, we will draw from canon, we will draw from legends, we just want to have stuff for these games. Whether it's pilots for ships in the ship games, the ship miniature games, uh, characters for the cards of the LCG, planets or something to talk about in the RPG, we are going to grab from wherever, because it's about a Star Wars authentic experience rather than being part of continuity. For my part... Uh, when I'm working on the timeline gold, I just assume that most of this, because of when these games started for the most part, most of these are meant to be within Legends. And if it's something that specifically is referencing something canonical, I'll deal with it in the canon timeline. But it's always with that caveat of we're including the information so it can at least be there, but who's to say whether it's even going to wind up um, being considered valid in the future? Not like Legends is going to have a lot of new stories to reference this stuff anyway, but still... Uh, it'd be nice to know if they're meant to fit in one or the other, and right now it tends to blend the line. Um, so speaking of that, we can go into the other one that really heavily bends or blends the line there, excuse me, and that is the role-playing game from Fantasy Flight Games. As of last year, there were three different RPG lines. Now there's sort of four, but the new one is very truncated. So this year for Edge of the Empire... And this is assuming I didn't miss any. For Edge of the Empire, which is the one that's basically on the fringes, you're playing someone who has a debt to someone else, some organization, and, you know, you're kind of a Han Solo-ish character. They had special modifications, Mask of the Pirate Queen, and actually just released, I haven't even seen it yet, Friends Like These, which I believe is Edge of the Empire, maybe uh, Age of Rebellion. Um, but we had very few for each of these this year. For Age of Rebellion, which is the one that's more about rebels versus the Empire, we had Strongholds of Resistance, Lead by Example, and Forged in Battle. Then for Force and Destiny, the one that's based on basically Force users, we have Keeping the Peace, Nexus of Power, Savage Spirits, Endless Vigil, and Chronicle of the Gatekeeper. Uh, you can tell that that one is the newer of the three because it had more releases as they were really kind of pushing that out. And then we also had one of those beginner game boxes that comes with all you need to learn how to play the RPG, comes with the dice, comes with a guide of how to play, comes with the mission where as you read through the mission instructions, it's telling you what to tell people, how to explain the game to people, all that kind of stuff. But this one was a The Force Awakens beginner game, which is both interesting and frustrating because it gives a new doorway to get people into the game. Say, hey, you like The Force Awakens? Try this out. Oh, this is awesome. Now try one of these other three Star Wars RPG lines. But it's that now try one of these other ones that gets me because that game makes you feel like you're able to jump into the game in The Force Awakens era with that era's sensibilities and whatnot. But there is no ongoing and there will not be an ongoing RPG set in that time frame. So it's basically almost like a bait and switch. Hey, you want to play in the Force Awakens era? Play in this beginner game. Haha, -ha, you want to keep playing in Force Awakens era? Screw you. If you want to keep playing the RPG, though, here's three set 30 plus years prior if you want to keep playing. It's a great gateway to get into playing the game, but I think the, the beginner games for the other three were better at it because they stuck with that era so you could go straight from that into the regular game. The Force Awakens one, it can get you into how the game plays, but it's not going to necessarily walk you into that era beyond that. You're going to have, if you're going to keep playing, you're going to have to make up your own stuff and modify stuff, or you're going to wind up playing with the standard material decades earlier, which is going to frustrate some people. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you is, with what we have out there, is there enough stuff for people to customize it, or would it be one of those things where they're just guessing completely? I mean, are there enough comparable roles in the other that you could be like, oh, well, you know, let's just say Poe Dameron's like a Luke Skywalker and we'll take Luke's stats from here. And let's say, uh, you know, Ray is an Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Clone Wars. We'll take the stats from that. Like, is there enough there that they could make their own? 
in that era? Yeah, I mean, you kind of could. You'd be working with technology that's that's either old, or you'd have to say that, you know, well, this is the newest version, but the stats are the same kind of stuff. Uh, you'd have to be keeping up with other material like the new novels and comics to know exactly what's going on on certain planets because all the background given is assumed that it's just after A New Hope. You have to be very careful if you're trying to stick with canon, I guess, to uh, avoid the Legends references. Like, their background on Sullust is completely different than what we saw happening in Battlefront Twilight Company. Yeah. But yeah. I think you could theoretically do it. It's just it's not a user-friendly way to do it, and it gives the impression, if it's a beginner game, that there's going to be more stuff coming afterwards, but there just isn't. Well, and then... In the realm of newer vehicles and stuff, I've kind of gotten the impression after the prequel trilogies come out, now that we've got The Force Awakens, that the galaxy has been seeing so many battles that unless the weapons were being upgraded for war during the time of war, that most of the producers out there weren't really advancing their technology. They were all caught up in the war or hiding from the war itself. You kind of get that feeling like the new innovative technologies you know, there was no public stock. You know, it was all military driving all the advancements. So, you know, like the, the regular stock and failed of the galaxy, they're not going to have the new Soros LX speeder. You know, they're going to have the one that you saw from the original trilogy. You know, and something old that's fallen apart and, and been kept together with hope and love. <laughs> you could. And I guess the thing that really gets me and, and makes me wonder is in that era, what would they use as like that, that ever-changing key mechanic? Like, in Edge of the Empire, you have obligation, which helps drive the story, drive what your characters do, because you owe someone something. You have duty replacing obligation in Age of Rebellion. Oh, and cool. then you have a morality system that has consequences for light and dark side kind of choices built into Force and Destiny. So I'm kind of curious, what would they do with that for The Force Awakens? But that doesn't play into the beginner games at all. So that concept wasn't even created for that uh -huh. era for the beginner games. So it'd be a question of, you know, am I just going to play by the rules of one of the older games or the other games um, and use their unique mechanic? Or am I going to have to come up with something myself for the force awakens era? Mm -hmm. Probably just use what was existing before, but it's still, uh, there's been some frustration over it. Well, I don't know if I can fault them though. I mean, think about what they did with the prequel trilogy and all the stuff that the books and the comics were pushing forward that when the films came out, that wasn't the direction. I mean, Kai Adamundi with prelude to the empire. I mean, he wasn't used at all, but yet we were thinking like, Oh, he's going to be a big player. So maybe by holding off on that, maybe that's a smart play for once. Could be. Could be. Uh, we also, of course, had our miniatures games this year, and Fantasy Flight has three main lines of those. The one that saw the least growth this year was Star Wars Armada. That's the capital ship battles and whatnot. We had the Imperial Assault Carriers, Rebel Transports, the Liberty, and the Interdictor. And that was it. So we had four new ships or ship types added in. And, you know, they allowed you to mix it up some, but Armada just does not have the depth of miniatures, depth of options that exist for something like X-Wing. Um, they've been really, really slow to come up with new material. In fact, the next big release for Armada aren't, isn't even miniatures. It's a campaign box that gives you basically ways to play with stuff you already have and play through a, an interesting campaign with that stuff. Because from the standpoint of, well... Let's grab some big ships from the films and turn them into miniatures and do this big uh, big space combat game. If you're drawing mostly from the films and some of the TV shows and not much from Legends, there's not a lot of ships you can grab for this sort of thing um, that are iconic 
to use. I mean, Rebel Transports and Imperial Assault Carriers are kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel if you're going to have a combat game in well, space. Well, see, that's where I'm just like, well, why not make up new ships? I mean, it's a new cannon. Why not establish your own line? Create your own, you know, engineering corporation, your own drive yards, you know, the RPG drive yards over in the RPG sector that's making RPG ships. <laughs> and they actually did that for one ship, uh, but they haven't done it since. They did that for X-Wing to have a new ship that was comparable to a Corellian Corvette, and then that ship made its way into Armada. But it seems to be all that they're really playing with it. Uh, and again, of course, they're adding in you know all the various things for the game. You have some stuff from canon, some stuff from Legends. There, It's all blended together. Imperial Assault, which is the miniatures game that is basically characters on the ground playing on a grid-based map that changes depending on the scenario that you're playing, that one got... Uh, pretty good amount of stuff this year we had new miniatures for the alliance smuggler bantha rider uh which are separate they did they're not tied into any big expansion we had the bespin gambit expansion and they did like they did before which is basically here's an expansion lots of different characters you can play as some of them are represented by tokens instead of miniatures to keep the costs down but if you want the miniature and more game materials you can buy an expansion pack of that character get a miniature get a duplicate of the card you've already got and other game materials. Um, I think that's relatively con consumer-friendly of them. So with Bespin Gamut, we had Lando Calrissian, Bosk, Agent Blaze, and the ISB Infiltrators getting expansion little hero and villain packs. Then we had, also again, standalone uh, hero and villain packs to give us miniatures of Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Grand Inquisitor, and Greedo. And then for faster play, since anytime you play, you have to build your maps out of all the different map tiles and whatnot, whether it's a skirmish map or a campaign mission, uh, they actually released three different pre-printed big fold-out rubber play mats that you can play on called skirmish maps. So for three of the more popular skirmish maps, instead of building it and carrying around your map tiles, you can just whip out the play mat, roll it out, and play on that. Not quite as high a resolution of uh, visuals to it, um, but much more convenient uh, for those who play Skirmish a lot and tend to travel with their stuff to play. See, this is a game that I still I would like to get into it, but not for the game. I just want the ships. I like the figures. Uh, you know, the prices are high, which has kept me from doing it. But man, the ships in these series look so good. I mean, the X-Wing and Armada are just, oh, glorious. And, yeah, it, it gets back to if they were to drop the prices on those ships, man, I would be collecting those every bit as hard as I do the Hot Wheels and the Titanium Diecast series. I mean, I like ships, and I like the details, and, I mean, let me tell you, Hot Wheels is giving Titanium Diecast a run for their money with their ships. Their ships, they're Ewing. Right? Their Ewing looks exactly like the other one. Like, so much so that I was just like, I don't even know if I want to buy the Black Series diecast one because I've already got the Hot Wheel one. And, and the stand that they got for the new Hot Wheel ones are pretty tight. Like, they're no longer that finger stand. They actually look more like a better stand that the Black Series uses. It's, it's just nuts. I dig the ships, and that is the aspect of these games that really jives with me. Now, I've never had an opportunity to play the game. So I don't know how much I would like the game. Uh, I've always I've always been somebody that collects the RPG material and stuff back when the expanded universe was expanded universe. Uh, you know, it helped build fan stories and stuff like that, and, and helped you have that immersive knowledge. So I, I don't know how much of that still carries over. I would assume quite a bit of it. 
Uh, and, and if you are playing these games and that kind of stuff, you know, shoot me a text, shoot me a tweet, let me know how much you're having fun, why I should be doing this, because I feel like I should, I just feel like the price tag's holding me back. You mentioned ships, right? So we go from the one that's basically characters on the ground to the other one that is ship-based, which is really the flagship miniatures game for Star Wars when it comes to Fantasy Flight games, and that's X-Wing. X-Wing had quite a few releases again this year, as one would expect, as their flagship game. We had new playmats get released early in the year. Playmats that have Bespin and the Death Star 2 on them. These little 3x3, 3x3-foot playmats you can roll out and play your game on. Uh, I picked those up. I'm a sucker for playmats. I like them. I like using them as backgrounds when I do my videos and stuff for YouTube. Uh, We also actually just had two new ones released that so far aren't seeming to be anywhere but Fantasy Flight Games' own store. One is a Hoth Battlefield playmat. The other one is a playmat with Starkiller base on it. I'm holding off of buying them so far because buying through Fantasy Flight Games' own store, each of those two playmats is $40. So yeah, not picking those up yet. Then we had new miniatures. We had the Ghost, the Punishing One, the Mist Hunter, the Inquisitor's Tie, the Imperial Veterans Pack with two repaints of older uh, TIE models, the ARC-170, the Special Forces TIE Fighter from The Force Awakens, the Protectorate Starfighter from Rebels, the Shadowcaster also from Rebels. We had the Heroes of the Resistance Pack, which had the Force Awakens version of the Millennium Falcon, plus Poe Dameron's version of the X-Wing from that era. So, quite a few new ones. A lot of other stuff announced, but they haven't hit in 2016, unless it's going to be in like the last week or two of 2016. Uh, So solid entries continuing to expand that game. Um, Nothing super surprising, though, or game-changing for X-Wing. Just a steady progression of the goodness they're already doing. Yeah, that and that's the one I'm probably going to end up getting the Ghost. Um, I really dig the ship, but the X-Wing version of the Ghost has got all the details. You know, I was just mentioning Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels Ghost... It looks like it's brand new, just pulled out off of the ship assembly line. Really nice. Uh, the Black Series one has a little more lived-in feel to it, but the X-Wing, oh my god, that one looks so glorious. The thing that I find interesting is now we've got the Ghost uh, with the Phantom's been replaced. So, like, this Ghost is, is the original Phantom, not the Phantom 2. So, I'm like, are we going to see a Phantom 2 version of Ghost at some point? Or maybe a Phantomless version of the Ghost where you could have the Phantom as its own little tiny ship? Uh, those are the kind of things that the little details that in a game like this, I, I kind of think uh, you need to have. Then moving away from miniatures, we have two games using cards, one of which I have a, a passionate distaste for their game model. Um, but before we get to that one, we have these Star Wars LCG or living card games called Star Wars the Card Game from Fantasy Flight. That is basically a game where it's a traditional card game, of course, but... You have the ability to basically constantly expand the game, never having to buy blind booster packs. So you buy a force pack, which is one of their little expansions. You always get the exact same cards every time for that force pack. You buy a deluxe expansion. Every time you buy that, it's the exact same cards. There is no randomness to what you're buying in this game, which is a very, very consumer-friendly model. So we had this year, uh, these expansions come in cycles of six at a time, all with sort of a a similar theme. So we were in the midst of the indoor cycle as last year ended, and this year we got uh, the Force Pack's New Alliance, the Forest Moon, So Be It, Press the Attack, and Redemption and Return. Then we got the Deluxe Expansion, Galactic Ambitions. 
We got a playmat. Uh, previously, they had had some playmats, but there was nothing really on them except an image, and it was really meant for one player. This was the Galactic Conflict playmat, which is for two players and has spaces for all the different cards to be put, which I like. I love those types of card game playmats. And then we had the beginning of the Opposition's Cycle of Force packs, with uh, the first half of it being released this year. Ancient Rivals, A Wretched Hive, and Meditation and Mastery. So again, not anything game-changing, still continuing forward, still keeping a pace. I thought it was a pretty solid year for the LCG, but it wasn't something that, you know, wowed me. I think it was more exciting to be an X-Wing player than an LCG player this year, even though they both kept up with sort of a steady stream of solid releases. Yeah, I'm not big on the card games. Uh, I think the only card game I've ever really played is Magic the Gathering. That's been about it. Uh, I... I, I, unless it's like a Magic the Gathering style card game, I really have no desire. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe I've missed the boat. Maybe they've put out a game like that in the past and I looked at it and I was just like, eh, I don't know. But as far as I'm aware, I don't think there's been a game out there as similar to that. So I've just kind of been not really a fan of the card games. Speaking of not being a fan, uh, the last one, newly released actually just recently. In fact, a lot of places haven't even got their stock yet because there was so much demand and yet such little supply because of just how long it takes to put this together because there's die involved or dice involved, uh, is Star Wars Destiny. And Star Wars Destiny is a combination card slash dice game. Essentially, it is a one-on-one -on -one combat game. You're trying to just knock out the heroes on the other side. You build a deck of 30 cards or 20 if you're using a, just the starters. And you're playing sometimes with card abilities, sometimes by rolling dice. And the dice give you different abilities and different things that you can do. And various characters that are your heroes in the game have those dice. Either one, in some cases, or two, in many cases. When you're building your deck together and your characters together... For your heroes, you're using points. You know, I'm spending this many points for this character as a hero, this many points for this character, and you have a limit of 30 points. It's kind of like when you play X-Wing and you have like a 100-point limit so that everybody's on a level playing field even if what you're using is different. Well, in this case, it's 30-point limit, and if you have a hero card, whether it's a rare one or a legendary one, oftentimes they have two costs on them. You can spend the one cost on the left and have one die or you can pay the higher cost on the right and have two die. But that's where the, the, the marketing model comes in that frustrates me. This is a game that starts out with starter decks that are pre-made. Everybody gets the same cards. They are for Kylo Ren and Rey. Kylo Ren has him with two dice and then a First Order Stormtrooper with one. And then the Rey starter set uh, has Rey with two dice and then Finn with one, although he can have two. And then this is where Fantasy Flight Games has broken away from that consumer-friendly model. With their RPG having three different lines, not sure how user-friendly that is, but at least you're able to sort of focus on the line that you're more interested in. But you know, RPG books tend to be expensive anyway. When it comes to Imperial Assault, they went with that whole, if we're going to have a big expansion, here's some characters that are tokens. If you want to buy the expansion, fine. If not, you've got the token. You can still play as them. You don't have to actually buy one. The Living Card Game, the LCG, cards are always the same in each pack. No blind boosters, no wasting your money. Very user-friendly. This goes back to a collectible card game or trading card game model. And I've expressed my thoughts on this on the YouTube channel. It's probably the YouTube video that's had the most people bitching at me because they disagree and tout and extol the virtues of this type of business model 
for gamers, which honestly for gamers kind of sucks, but, uh, and I've been trying not to reply to those and just kind of let those opinions stand since I already expressed mine in the video instead of ripping the crap out of them. I don't understand, like, what, what value could somebody consider in that? Or is that just the hunt of, I bought one and I got a hunt. rare one? It's the hunt, and they're like, well, it's not as bad as some other games. So here's the way it works. You buy blind booster packs. There is nothing guaranteed about what you're getting for anything you buy for Star Wars Destiny or its first set, Awakenings, which is what this stuff is from, except the starter set. Starter sets are always the same thing. Beyond that, you're buying boosters. Good freaking luck. The boosters will have five cards in one die. Three common cards, one uncommon, and then a guaranteed rare or legendary. Uh, the rare or legendary will come with one die, to use with that card. The legendaries are supposed to be one per every six packs, and the ratio seems to be holding true for those who study these types of things, but you're looking at about 17 legendary cards that you're going to try to get, and uh, there's something like 67 cards that have dice involved that you would get through these booster packs. And any of these characters, especially the unique characters like, say, a Finn, are characters that allow you to play with one die or two. But it only comes with one. So if you pick up, say, the legendary card, oh, I don't know, Darth Vader, in a booster pack, you can't play him to his fullest. You have to find him again in a booster pack to get another die and a useless extra copy of the card in order to actually play him to its fullest oh. with the two dice that are available for him. So the dice so are specific to, too? Like it can't be like I could just take one dice from over here and use it with the... No, the dice are character oh, specific. Crap. Okay. So basically, let's say that there's enough rare cards that need the second die to make up for the small number of legendary ones that don't have two die available to them. You're still looking, and I've done the math on this repeatedly to see if there's a better scenario of how to do this, but assuming you only ever get exactly what you need, never getting duplicates except in the case of cards where you have to get a duplicate to get the second die, you're looking at needing to buy anywhere from three and a half to six boxes of booster packs to have even the remotest chance of pulling that off. So, so this is a game that is designed around blind booster packs and playing like, say, a Magic the Gathering. But if you are a collector, and this is where I'm coming at this from the collector and playing standpoint, if you are a collector, you are screwed on this game, especially if you want to be able to play every character as its fullest. Um, your best bet is to go with something like Team Covenant is doing, where you find a group that sells... They see they bought a ton of boosters and made complete sets and are selling them for like 300 bucks because that is still cheaper and less frustrating than buying all the booster packs. I think this is this frustrates me because we've gotten to the point where this model isn't the only model out there. When it was the Star Wars CCG or TCG back in like the 90s and the early 2000s, this was the only model, except for the whole thing about the two dice kind of thing. Um, this is the only model, a collectible card game. Nobody expected to get a full set at any point. But Star Wars fans are collectors in a lot of ways, not just gamers. And this is marketed as a collectible card game. So if you're going into it from a collectible standpoint, this is a ridiculously bad model for the players, for the collectors. As for players, it's going to completely depend 
on what cards you get. Because when you're building your decks, you're limited to 30 cards and 30 points worth of heroes. But you're also limited, you can only have a hero deck or a villain deck, you can't mix the two. And there are three different colors, plus gray that's neutral, of different cards. And unless you have a hero of that color as one of your heroes that you set up, you can't use cards of that color in your deck. So I've talked to about 10 people, uh, five to 10 people, I think it's like, like eight-ish right now, that have tried playing this game whose local game shops had these big events. And in many cases, it was, you can't just buy the starter. You buy both starters and some booster packs. That way you definitely get them and they make their money back, despite the fact that there's a low supply out there right now. And for the most part, except for one person, everyone has told me the same thing. I got something like 10 to 15 booster packs, and I still can't come up with a decent deck, a competitive deck made from those boosters and my starters because of the way that the distribution works and the design of how you build your decks. So it seems like there's a disconnect between the collectible model and the, and the player, the collector, and the booster packs as a game enhancement model, and those who are actually trying right now to find a way to competitively play the game without breaking the bank. So in essence, it's a regression to an earlier type of game model that, for many of us, is turning us off to the game. But for some who love the chase, is really enhancing this because with the LCG, well... Anybody can play on a level playing field. I want to have an advantage because I spent a ton more money and got more lucky. If that's your kind of thing, awesome, have at it. You're going to love Star Wars Destiny. But that's not me. So to me, this game, I mean, it plays really well. It's fun to play. It's fast to play. I will be playing with the two starter decks quite a bit, probably, with me and my wife. But we're not going to be buying a bunch of blind boosters because I'm not going down that rabbit hole. Yeah, and that sounds like it's the one aspect of magic that I didn't like, you know, the, the hit or miss, uh, you know, I, I have a friend that in the, in the realm of magic, he would go out of his way go to places where people were buying all those things and would buy the specific cards he wanted paid, you know, whatever price they demanded for it. So I guess I could see where some people are wanting it. It's more that community aspect, that 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 card community of the the guys that are hanging out down at your local comic store, uh, playing on Fridays, certain rounds of their things. Like I, I could see them getting a value out of this because this goes back to what they're used to. That sense of well, I got I found the right one, so now I'm 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 in that elite category. Not because I was able to afford it, although most of them it's going to be that afford it. Somebody's going to be out there doing that. Hey, I'm going to sell this and get my kid to college, but. I don't know, like, maybe maybe it's nice that they have this to offer to them as well. I mean, granted, again, it gets back to that. I'm not a card player, so kind of like my opinion on it is kind of mute. <laughs> well, let, let, let me give you an example. As we were sitting here recording about half an hour ago, I got a new comment on the YouTube video that popped up on my phone. Uh, Michael, be prepared. Quote, and this person apparently didn't actually watch the full video or just jump to certain parts, because I actually talk about how fun the game actually is, but that because of the business model, I don't like the business model, which is why I won't be buying it, mm -hmm. or the collecting model. Um, so this person, who of course on their thing says, uh, at the bottom, says, I don't want my real name shown as as this, so, you know, good on you, go out there and and 
and flame, but don't put your name behind it. It's it's nice to know that our president is rubbing off on people, our president-elect. So the game sucks because you don't like the CCG model? Grow up and stick to your LCGs if that's what you like. Actually, I will. Or you can play Force of Will and buy a box and get four of everything. The game is actually really balanced. Yes, I actually said that, except for when you're, you know, somebody's playing with boosters and someone's not. But you wouldn't know because you only play with the starter decks. I love the fact that you complain about cost of this game, but slobber all over X-Wings. There you go, Michael. Zap that one. A f***ing model for X-Wings, sorry, Michael, is $39.95 for one f***ing model. It's also the same as one f***ing Vader. Okay, I don't know what's up with this guy, but you. But most of the X-Wing ships are actually 15 bucks, not 40 um, But prices range quite widely depending on how much material there is in actually making the models. Uh, let's see. You're an idiot. Compare apples to oranges. Want another fin? Trade for it or just buy two starters. Incidentally, two starters is cheaper than one of your X-Wing models. Actually, two starters is $5 more than the vast majority of X-Wing models. But that's the kind of stuff that you get. Um, this is a very polarizing game. And of course, we're in the internet age of basically, you know, anonymous trolling. Um, unfortunately, that's a comment I'm going to have to either censor or drop because we have a bunch of kids who come in and read through the comments and actually are looking into these games. I learned that the hard way um, by swearing in one of my Let's Play, quite a bit, in one of my Let's Play <laughs> videos for a PlayStation VR game that I was having issues with because it just was not a well-designed game and had several parents who were annoyed um, because they're like, Yo, you need to give warning or something because... You know, kids might be might be viewing this or might be reading the comments on this. You can't really totally control comments, but right now, 710 or so videos into it. Let me see. Uh, 710 videos in and how many subscribers into it at this point? Um, clicky, clicky. And uh, just over 2,700 subscribers <laughs> into it. I'm realizing that the audience is not necessarily just going to be Star Wars fans of our age for whom profanity is fine. Yeah. Um, so I'm either going to have to change some of that stuff and, or I'm just going to have to not let that one post. It's one of those ones I think that's waiting for pending approval and I got to decide whether or not to approve it. But that's the kind of flack that you get when you dare speak out against a tried and true gamer thing, which is blind booster packs and that sort of thing. But I think the criticisms, if someone actually watches the video I did on it or listen to this, are valid. For someone who is a collector, this sucks. The idea that you're going to have to get two relatively hard to find legendaries to be able to use it to its fullest in many cases really sucks but it's a common game model and the game plays well i simply will not be playing it because i'm not doing the blind booster thing for people who like that this will be a great experience but that's not mm -hmm. me yeah that's definitely i'm in that same boat i I don't see myself going out and, and rushing into this. But then again, like, you know, like I said, my local comic book store, most of the people are playing Magic. They're not really playing any Star Wars RPG games yet. There's not a big community where I live. And I think, I think if you've got a big community, that that, that is going to be what makes this type of thing your bread and butter. I mean, if you got somebody you can play with this and, and do it more than once a, a week or once a month, you know, I mean, you got to get your value out of it. And I think for me, that's where it comes down to. It's like, why would I want to buy something that I'm not going to have anybody to play with, but maybe my son, and it's just going to sit on the shelf. I mean, that's that's the same issue I'm having with Battlefront. It's like, there's so much to the game that I just can't do that I'm like, it doesn't feel like it's a good value. Uh, so at the end of the day, I mean, that's the thing. You got to realize, is the value in it for you? You know, I mean, if Nate has value in it, but you don't, 
then why are you getting it? Just because Nate gets it, you know? I mean, that, that's the, one of the things I, I, I'm constantly I'm thinking about now that we live in a Disney Star Wars world where Star Wars are on your Band-Aid packs, your coolers, your socks. I mean, they're on everything now, you know? I mean, you really got to stop and think, like, do I really need to have this one toy? And where am I going to put it, you know? Amen. So... Uh, like I said it's it's been an interesting year for Fantasy Flight games. A lot of the stuff they've been doing is basically just kind of keeping a pace. Nothing truly amazing. Nothing truly bad in the cases of those games. Um, just kind of sort of staying the course. Um, with Rebellion being an unusual entry that's stand that's a standalone game, and then Destiny being a change from form. I'm very curious to hear how Destiny winds up working out for the company. And to see whether this is something that's a unique experiment for them to do, because they tend to stick with LCGs for everything else, or if this is something that they're going to lean more towards in the future. I don't know. We'll just have to see. I think the the jury's still out on Destiny, because right now, I mean, it's been out for less than a month. In fact, it's been out for less than two weeks as of the time that we're recording this. And again, they're putting out their first batch of orders in sort of four waves because of how little stock they have and how slow it is to replenish it. So I think it'll probably be a good few months before we really see how that one pans out and we see how tournaments go and things like that. But uh, Fantasy Flight Games generally more consistent than some of the other Star Wars publishers out there, some of the other Star Wars producers out there. So it's always interesting when they seem like they're diverting from you know, what they think of as sort of their tried and true methods one way or the other but uh and i I would say this is a better year for star wars gaming than last year Mm -hmm. i think consistent and then we had battlefront getting stronger and we had the lego game with it but i'm still waiting for the year when we have more star wars video games to talk about more star wars stories and video games to talk about where the bulk of the star wars continuity information that we're getting that's adding to something isn't coming from tabletop games and is starting to come again from video games as it did during the Legends era. Well, I mean, yeah, no, that's that's exactly something I was thinking about with the Eternal Empire. I mean, you know, that's a story where I'm constantly like, you know, it's adding to it, and yet I don't know much about it. I mean, think about this. Some point between the first Jedi Purge and the Great Galactic War, Vidatat, the Sith Emperor, traveled to wild space in search of the Eternal Fleet, a supposedly unstoppable fleet of warships commanded by sentient droids. His journey brought him to Zakul, where he discovered a culture of superstitious humans who worshipped the ruthless old gods. He took on the identity of Valkorion, he unified the nomadic tribes on Zakul into a civilization utterly devoted to him, creating the Eternal Empire, installing himself as their immortal emperor. He formed a new force-using order called the Knights of Zakul to rise above the light and dark side of the forces. He he takes these guys and he goes in and he wipes out not just the Galactic Republic, but he also takes out the Sith Empire. I mean, he sets up everything. I mean, and that all happens in the game. There's nothing else out there that this is supplemented to. It's all in the game. I mean, that's I look forward to when we get console games that are doing that again with the new canon. I mean, I love the fact that Legends is still growing in this regard, but there's nothing to, you know, to bolster it. No books and no comics, but at least with the canon stuff, we could get that in addition to really get that out there. I mean, because that's an origin for the game and stuff. That's something that's been going around, but I'm still blind to it. I'm like, oh, that's what's going on? Like, wow. You know, if you're not playing the game, you don't get that little information, but at least 
having the the newer games when they come out next year and stuff and having story modes and things like that will have the opportunity for books to actually tie into them whereas the older public isn't getting that we get we get those online stories and that is literally it uh so i i live i look forward to that moment where we're talking about games like a uh force unleashed you know like what it was doing to the story at the time for legends you know having something like that in canon again where it's shaking things up and our perceptions of things are being shifted because this new stuff is coming in and it's filling in that murky shadowy nebula of what is the story of canon that we think we might know because we know stuff from legends but legends are not canon Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is literally the best way to interact with us. It is our home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFamilies.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or the canon one or the Harry Potter one or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. But by the next time that we record, I will have killed our kitten so we can record in peace. <laughs> Cats for peace. What are the odds that we're going to get like five console games, all Star Wars next year? <laughs> Zero. I know, right? Uh, I can dream. It's a big fat pipe and it's mine to smoke. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered me for a long time. Not that have bothered you. <laughs> you. That so have bothered is... Mark for a long time. Uh, okay, I'm out. That's out of my system. I think. I hope. I hope maybe. I'm sorry. Can you hear that? That the, the falling everywhere because the cats are around I, in the other room. I heard that that one time, but that was the first thing I've heard. Uh, <laughs> I killed him. And we saw the release of its first DLC. God damn it. <laughs> Fuck you both up. <laughs> like, he's in it. Go, go. Strike, strike fast, strike hard. <laughs> yeah, I did get that out. Sorry. Whew.